0: Portion of scripture we read earlier on, Ezra and chapter 8. And I think just because we do have only two or three verses that we're looking at this evening, I'll just read those again. So, Ezra chapter 8 and from verse 21. These are the verses we'll look at tonight. <coughs> there, by the Havah canal, I proclaimed a fast. So that we might humble ourselves before our God and ask him for a safe journey for us and our children with all our possessions. I was ashamed to ask the king for soldiers and horsemen to protect us from enemies on the road because we had told the king the gracious hand of our God is on everyone who looks to him. But his great anger is against all who forsake him. So... We fasted and petitioned our God about this, and He answered our prayer. <clears throat> so tonight um, we finished the Godfather part one, okay, and we are moving into the Godfather part two, or, if you like, we are. We've just seen the credits finish on Star Wars. And we are just about to stick in the Empire Strikes Back. Because tonight, we are moving into the sequel. Because if you were here last week, you'll remember, I'm sure, that we encountered the people of God... Just as they were about to embark, just as they were about to set off on this monumental journey from Babylon to Jerusalem. But before they did that, you'll remember what they did. Before they set off, you'll remember what they did. They paused, didn't they? They stopped and they camped at the Ahava Canal. And tonight we're going to see the second part of their preparations. Because they've now got their physical preparations out of the way, don't they? You know, they've done their stock take. They've got their Levites in place, remember that. But now come the spiritual preparations. Because before they go, they've got one last important thing to do before they go off in this journey. And that is what we're going to consider tonight. Let's consider the people as they seek the Lord. The people here as they seek the Lord. So picture the scene, friends. You finish work and you are about to go away. You're about to jet off on holiday. And you've made it all the way to the airport, you're sitting on the plane at the runway. But there's always, you're itching to get going, but there's always one thing that you have to sit through, isn't there? There's always one thing that you have to endure on the plane. Because there's always a steward or a stewardess who will go at the front of the plane and they will go through that whole safety procedure with you, won't they? They will... Tell you, they'll point out the life jackets, they'll tell you exactly what to do with the breathing apparatus, that sort of thing. But really, it's just as well that they do that then, isn't it? It's just as well that they do it before we set off. Because you can imagine how chaotic and how useless it would be if these stewards try to tell us about these emergency procedures after there was a problem with the plane or after the, the engine failed. That would be totally useless, wouldn't it? These things have to be sorted out in advance. They have to be sorted out beforehand. And we see that sort of principle tonight in our first point of the sermon. Because we see here in Ezra chapter 8, in these short verses, we see that this was preparatory prayer. It was preparatory prayer. Now, the people of God, they're in quite a strange situation here. It is a a, a life-changing event. It's, suppose it's a A major upheaval. You know, we've seen this before. They are moving everything they own. Okay, this journey involves moving all their possessions. It means moving all their families, all their children. And they're leaving their home behind. They are leaving everything that they have ever known. This is a massive undertaking. But the problem here isn't that it's just upheaval. Because this is a very, very dangerous thing that these people are doing. Because we've seen it before. This is a long journey. It's a journey of about nine hundred miles, give or take. Okay? Nine hundred miles. And it's a journey across treacherous terrain. You know, the people of God, this this convoy of what did we say it was? About 5,000 people they have to cross mountains and they have to cross rivers and they have to cross deserts to get to Jerusalem so how do the people cope with that what do they do, what is their number one priority here well we see that in verse 21 their number one priority before they set off was to pray. They pray and they seek God prior to leaving. Because you see, there's a stress, there's a kind of emphasis in verse 21. Because we're told that it is there by the Ahava Canal that they prayed. It was there That they sought God. It was before they moved. It was before they set off. Do you see this? It's It's not a kind of reactive situation. This isn't reactive prayer. The people, they don't wait until something bad happens on the journey. They don't wait until one of their kids falls. Or somebody in their family is struck with illness. It's It is prayer beforehand. It's advanced prayer. It is preparatory prayer. And folks, tonight, surely, surely there is a very, very obvious lesson for us in that. There's an obvious application. Because I'm sure you would agree that all too often we are reactive prayers, aren't we? We are people who react in our prayer lives. You know, if somebody we know gets ill, then we'll pray for them. If somebody we know or somebody in the congregation loses their job, then we'll pray for them. Well, that's not the principle here. Not a bit of it. In Ezra 8, the people of God, they committed The future to God in prayer. Okay. That's fine. That maybe seems a wee bit up here, doesn't it? Let's bring it down. Let's think about some solid examples of preparatory prayer. What exactly should this look like? Well, okay. Take your... take the current situation of your life, the situation that you're in just now. Now, do you have a major decision to make at the moment? Are there big things going on in your life? Do you have a financial decision to make? A schooling? A study? A work decision? Well, if so, friends, pray about that. Now. Don't wait until these things explode. Don't wait till these things unfold before your very eyes. Commit these things, these major things, commit them to God in prayer now. So that's one example. What about another example? What about our congregation here in London? Well, instead of waiting until Bad things happen to the people of the congregation and then getting on our knees and praying for them. Why don't we mix it up a wee bit? Why don't we pray for people, start going through the congregation person by person in our prayer lives? Why don't we work our way round the church praying for people, praying for spiritual blessing, praying for each other's Spiritual maturity rather than just waiting till something terrible strikes. And then, okay, last example, perhaps the most important. Why don't we pray about tragedy? Pray in advance about tragedy and difficult things that befall us because surely we can't wait. Until that point where there's a diagnosis. And then start praying. It's cancer. Okay. Then we pray about it. Or we lose somebody close to us. Somebody we love. And then we commit that situation to God. Surely that's not how it should be. Surely we should be asking God to prepare us for these things. To ready us for these major, major difficult decisions in our lives. We should pray in advance. That's what the people of God did in Ezra chapter 8. So let's follow that example. This was preparatory prayer. Preparatory prayer. Okay. Now when... My wife, Catherine, and I got married, which was about uh, eight or nine years ago. Please don't tell her that. I I didn't know exactly how long it was. But it was about eight or nine years ago. And we invited one of um, our friends, one of my friends, to the wedding, a guy called Mike. (coughs) And what you need to know about Mike is that he was and is the scruffiest and untidiest man in the whole of the UK. I'm sure you know this sort of guy. The sort of guy who has an unalterable uniform. You know that uniform being trainers and scruffy jeans and a t-shirt and a a woolly hat. And so scruffy was Mike that I thought that I should speak to him in advance of the wedding and just check uh, that he was going to smarten up for the big day, I didn't want to risk the wrath of my mother-in-law. Um, so on, on the day, Mike turned up. And wow, what a change in this guy. He had really made an effort. He was suited and booted. He had a tie on. The hat was gone. The hair was washed. And it was brushed. So what's the point? The point is that this... Was a wedding. Okay? This was not an ordinary event. So Mike felt that he had to prepare himself properly. Not an ordinary event. So he had to prepare himself properly. And we see something of that in our second point this evening. Because this wasn't just preparatory prayer. This was extraordinary prayer, too. Extraordinary prayer. What does that mean? Well, we've seen already, and we've seen time and time again, that this journey was a treacherous one. We've seen it was a long journey. We've seen it was a, a, a difficult and over mountainous terrain. But there's another reason here that this was a difficult journey. Okay, Another reason, and the NIV, it mentions, it calls it, it talks about the people's fear of enemies or bandits. You see, there was a real possibility of attack here. And at this point in history, so we're talking about uh, the 5th century BC. So at this point in history, and in this part of the world, There was a very real possibility that a convoy of this size, 5,000 people, that it would be attacked and that it would be looted by bandits. That's bad enough. But remember what these people are carrying. You see it? They're carrying all the treasure back to the temple. Here's a group of people with so much gold and silver and polished bronze. So this was really, really risky. This was no ordinary journey. Do we get that? It was a specifically hazardous situation. And because of that, what do they do? They pray? Yeah, they pray. But they also Fast. You see that verse 21? There, by the Ahava Canal, Ezra proclaimed a fast. The people prayed and the people fasted. Now, let's be honest, there isn't exactly a lot of talk in the 21st century church about fasting. It is not a topic that we deal with much. It's not one that we think about or is particularly popular. But that doesn't change the fact that fasting is still a legitimate means of seeking God. So, if we're not familiar with it, what exactly is fasting? Are we properly clued up on this? Well, the idea... Behind fasting is a very, very simple one, isn't it? We do without something that we need, usually food, in order to turn our attention to God in prayer and petitioning. Okay? Simple. We do without something we need in order to turn to God. And I guess one of the, the key things about fasting is that it should be reserved for special occasions. If you are fasting four or five times a week, then there's something wrong there. We shouldn't be. This is reserved for a <coughs> special significance. And we see that very much in Ezra chapter eight. So I'll just throw it, I'll throw it out there tonight. Is this something that is on your radar? Do you ever think or ponder or consider fasting? Do you? Well, if you are in a situation which is very significant tonight, if there are major issues going on in your life, or if there are problems, well, perhaps, and I say, Perhaps, perhaps this is something that you should give some serious thought to. See, that's what the people of God did here. Such was the gravity of what they faced. Such was the seriousness of it all. That they prayed, but not only that, the people of God fasted too. Extraordinary. Now, one of my, um, my favourite sources of entertainment at the moment is uh, the Twitter feed of uh, Mr. Ashley Cole, the, uh, the England and Chelsea footballer. What a boy uh, he is. Now, Ashley Cole is seemingly forever getting himself into trouble. Says the wrong thing on the spur of the moment, and he gets a fine from his club, or he'll get a fine from the Football Association. And there's been a couple of times recently where he's written things on Twitter and then he's almost immediately deleted them again. Now, of course, this is the internet. So somebody somewhere has seen that instant thing and yet he gets himself into trouble again. And there is an element of that with Ezra in these verses because Ezra has said something here and then there's a a desire to almost take it back it's almost immediate regret so let's think about that in our third point this evening because this was doubt and prayer you got it? it was doubt and prayer. So what was it that Ezra began to doubt? Or what did he regret? Well, Ezra had spoken to the king, Artaxerxes. And he had told the king that the people of God didn't need help from the king. The people of God didn't need soldiers. The people of God didn't need horses. Because God would look after them. But then... Then there's this hint that Ezra begins to doubt what he says, isn't there? Because he says at the beginning of verse 22, he says, I was ashamed to ask the king for soldiers. I was ashamed to do it. So that is obviously something that Ezra has considered doing. He'd obviously considered, he thought about going back to the king to Artaxerxes and saying, see that stuff I said about God protecting us? Well, I want to take that back. He'd considered asking the king for soldiers and horses. <coughs> so folks, this is a very simple situation. This is a man with doubts. A man with doubts. Here's a man doubting himself, firstly, yes. Yeah. But here's also a man who is doubting God. You know, you can see him asking these questions. You know, will God really protect his people? Is God really going to protect us over 900 miles? Will God really look favorably upon us? This is a man with honest and sincere doubts. And friends, we learn a couple of things here, okay? Okay two things that we really should take away with us tonight if we can. One, great men of faith have doubts. Great men of faith have doubts. Now we see that all the way through Scripture. We see it here. We see it from Genesis to Revelation. You know, if you're doubting tonight, if you're Even at the stage where you're doubting God, then you are not the first. Think of Abraham and Sarah. You know, they doubted what God said to them. They laughed. You know, think about Thomas. He doubted the very resurrection, didn't he? There's so many. What about Gideon? He doubted. What about Mary and Martha with Lazarus? The list. It goes on and on and on friends we shouldn't be surprised when the devil attacks us we shouldn't be surprised when the cracks begin to appear and we start to doubt God even great men and women of faith it. but secondly we learn of what to do with those doubts don't we Because what does Ezra do? He's considering the future. He's on shaky ground. He's doubting himself. He's doubting God. What does he do? He takes the doubts to God, doesn't he? That's part of the prayer. That's part of the the fasting. He's concerned. He's panicking. And so he tells God. Now, does that sound, I don't know, does that sound like a familiar story tonight? Is that exactly where you are in your spiritual walk, even tonight? Are you beginning to doubt God? Well, if that is the case, then I urge you not to panic. Okay, don't stress about that. But also, don't leave that unchecked or unchallenged. Take those doubts to God. Tell him exactly what it is that you're worried about. Tell him exactly what you are feeling. Ezra did that. And what happened? What happened to him? He was given faith. He was given assurance. He was given all the faith he needed to lead a people and lead them. All the way to Jerusalem. This was doubt and prayer. So we've seen preparatory prayer. We've seen extraordinary prayer. We've seen doubt and prayer. And we close with just a phrase. I just want to draw your attention to one phrase. It is the last phrase of this section that we're dealing with. Do you see it? The last phrase. Phrase of verse twenty-three. This is the testimony of the church throughout the centuries, isn't it? It's my testimony, and I'm pretty sure it is your testimony too. What a phrase! He and our prayer. This isn't just preparatory or extraordinary prayer. This is answered prayer. Because you see, God took that band, that convoy, these weak and vulnerable people, and he led them through adversity, and he led them back to Jerusalem. And friends, through, not Ezra, but through Jesus Christ, the same is true of us here tonight. Now, it might be through difficulty. And it might be through hardship. It might be through adversity. But Christ will lead you home. Christ will lead you home. And on that glorious day, because of what he did at Calvary, because of the cross, we will be able to stand with our forefathers and we will be able to look back over our lives and we will be able to say with our forefathers the words of verse 31 here. It says, The hand of our God was on us and he protected us from enemies And from bandits along the way. And so we arrived in Jerusalem. Friends, tonight, praise God that he is a God who protects his people. Praise God that he is a God who leads his people. And when we seek him properly, praise God that he is a God who answers Our prayer. Are you doubting? Are you worrying tonight? God answers prayer. Let's pray.